Well, patience, you know, we all want it. We all want it right now. And that's the way it is. We think of patience. There's really two aspects of patience. There's, there's our patience and God's patience. Now think about it. In our patience, we have to wait upon the Lord. I mean, we do. That's the thing. We have to wait upon God in His timing. And that's what our patience is. We're saying, I have to trust God at whatever He says is right. But then there's God's patience. Now have you ever thought about that? In God's patience, in His love and His grace and His mercy, He holds back His judgment. Because he could judge the world anytime he wanted to. Because we've all sinned and come short of the glory of God. The wages of sin is death. God can judge the world anytime he wants to. But the God is a patient God. God is a patient God. Most of us have heard of Madeline Murray O'Hare, right? Nobody knows who that is. That's the, the atheist lady, you know? But you know, it has been throughout history, there have been other people who were famous for being atheists and stood against God. There was a man at the turn of last century, not this turn of this century, but last century. His name was Robert Ingersoll. And he drew large audiences both in America and England, and he would go and he would lecture on atheism, and he would challenge that there's no God. And what he would do is he'd like to do at the very end of his message, he'd say, here's what I'm going to do. And he would take out his watch, pocket watch in those days, and he'd say, I'm going to give God five minutes to strike me dead. If there is a God, God, five minutes I give you to strike me dead, myself dead. You know, to do it. And, of course, people would sit there, and he'd click off five minutes, and he'd say, obviously, there is no God. Once they, they were asked, a, a famous English pastor, his name was Joseph Parker, and they said, what do you think about Ingersoll and him standing up and saying he's going to give God five minutes to strike him dead? And then when God doesn't strike him dead, he said there is no God. And Ingersoll said, does he really think that he can exhaust the patience of the eternal God in five minutes? You Think about that. God has great patience with all of us, and we all need it. This evening, we see Abram not trust God. Not wait on God. Not, he loses patience. He moves ahead with his own plan. He says, you know, I think we got a better idea here. Maybe a better idea than what God said. Because sometimes we look at things and we say, well, I know what's right, but this is going to be better. This will be better because this will work. This will work faster. And sometimes we do things that are wrong because we think it might be a better way or it might be a faster way. We need to remember what God had promised to Abram. Now, let's think about it. God had made a cover, covenant with Abram, and it was this. He was going to give him a land, a seed, and a blessing. You remember this. He came to him when Abram was living in the Ur of the Chaldees. Ur of the Chaldees is modern-day Iran, Iraq. That part of the world worshipped the moon god. But Abram, the true God, came to Abram and told him to leave the land, leave his family, and go to a land that he would show him and a land that he would give him. And Abram trusted God, and he left, and he came to the land of what we call land of Canaan or Israel. And he promised him, he said, I'm going to give you this land, and this land will be yours forever. I'm going to give you a seed. I'm going to give you an offspring. Abram was 75 years old when he left. His wife was 65. She's 10 years younger than he is. And when they got there, God said, I'm going to give you a seed, an offspring. That offspring will be a great people group, but also through that people group will come the Messiah and the Savior of the world. And then he said, I'm going to give a blessing through you because through you, Abram, all the nations of the world will be blessed. And that's through the Messiah. That was the promises to Abram. And so he has the land and the seed and the blessing. And God is two or three different times. And we saw last week, we saw God actually told Abram exactly how big the land was going to be and the dimensions of the land. And if you remember, when we ended chapter 15 last time, it was pretty incredible because we saw that the land that God had promised Israel was not the little strip of land that you see when you get on a map and everybody says, now this is Israel, now over here, that's Gaza Strip, that doesn't count. Over here is the West Bank, that really shouldn't count. And up here is the Golan Heights, and that shouldn't count. Of course, this is Jordan, that shouldn't count. Over here is Egypt, and that's Sinai. But what you look at if you look at Genesis 15 is starting at the Nile River and going to the Tigris Euphrates River which is in Iran, Iraq 
All of that is promised to Israel. That's the land that promised God promised them. So he's, here's the land. And then there's the seed. Then the seed is that he would have a child that would ultimately be a great nation, a great people group, and through those people would come the Messiah. Well, this evening, the focus last week, last time, the focus was on the land. This time, the focus is on the seed. And I want you to look at Genesis 15. Look at verse 4. I just want you to see this. It said, Then behold, the word of the Lord came to him, according to Abram, saying, This man will not be your heir. Talking about some of, somebody in his family, somebody in his, his group. They're not his, not his relationship, but one of his servants. He says, But one who will come forth from your own body, he will be your heir. So he told Abram, Look, you're going to have a child. Now the problem, and we've been seeing this over and over, is how's this going to be? Because Abram is now about 85 and Sarah is about 75. And we're pretty much saying, you know, it's pretty much over. And they're actually saying, it's pretty much over. We, how are we going to have, how are we going to have children? How is God's promise going to come true? But here's the bottom line. If God promises a 180 year old person they're going to have a baby, guess what's going to happen? They're going to have a baby because everything that God says comes true. God who cannot lie, promised eternal life, Titus 1 verse 2. Everything that God ever promises is always true because God is all-powerful and God, God can't lie and God can do everything that he says. This evening, we see failure of Abram. And we look at it and you go, how could Abram fail? I mean, he's, he's, he's seen God, God comes to him and God does this and he worships God and God has told him all this stuff and we see Abram as a man of faith and a man who is just amazing. And yet, we realize that these are real people. These are not Bible stories. That somebody says, these are just stories. No, they're not just stories. They're real people. These actually happened. There was this man. There was this man who was 85 years old and had a wife who was 75 years old and God's promised them they're going to have a child. And he's not believing God right this second. At least not the way God said it. This evening we're going to see the failure of Abram as he fails to trust God, to wait on God. He loses his patience. And he tries to bring about the promise in his own way. Let's think about promises for just a second. Sometimes when you see, you think about the promises of God that he's promised us, sometimes it looks like there's problems with it. I mean, there's a promise in the Bible that says, we know that all things work together for what? For good, those that love God, those are called according to his purpose. Do sometimes things happen that doesn't look like it's going to work together for good? And then you could actually say, I don't think that's going to work together for good. You could say to God, I don't think that's going to work together for good. And God would say, what do you know? What do you know? I'm God. I'm the one that said it would. You just have to trust me. Or what about the fact that it says, Blessed is the man whose God is the Lord. We say, yes, well, we trust the living God and, and, and we're blessed. But we see people who do not believe in Jesus Christ and it looks like they're blessed. And in fact, it looks like they got it better than us. And you'd say, I don't think that's fair. Right? It doesn't look fair. One of the Psalms, David didn't write the Psalm, but one of the Psalms, I think it was Asaph, wrote a Psalm, and he wrote this, he said, I look around, and I see those who do not call on your name, those who reject you, and he even calls them evil. And he says, and they got everything. And he uses a term, he says, and they are fat. That was a Hebrew way of saying that they're blessed, they got everything, they got all the stuff. And he was a little bit mad as he was writing it. He was saying, it doesn't seem fair to me that they don't believe in you, and they're blessed, and I'm believing in you, and they got it better than me. That's what the writer was saying. And then it goes on at the sort of the end of the psalm, and he says, and then I remembered their end. What's going to happen to them? And so sometimes we say, God, you say, blessed is the man whose God is the Lord, and yet it doesn't look that way. And God says, yeah, it is that way. Just trust me. 
What about when he says, I, I give unto you what? Eternal life and you shall never perish. You ever talk to people who say, have you ever trusted in Jesus? Oh yeah, you, you've trusted in him? Yes. So you have eternal life. I hope so. No, wait, wait, wait. What did he promise you? Well, he said eternal life. So you have eternal life. Well, I hope I do. And you're saying, wait a minute, what's the promise of God here? What did he say? I give you what? Eternal life and you shall never what? Perish? You know people who have believed in Jesus Christ and they don't know that they have eternal life. They may read it and they may say, well, it says I have eternal life, but I don't know. What do you mean you don't know? Either you do or you don't. And if God says, I give you eternal life, what do you have? Eternal life. There's never a problem with God's promises. Never. Well, God promised that Abraham would have an offspring through his body and through he and Sarah, but they got no children, as they say. We got no children. We're getting older and older and older. You ever talk to somebody that wants a child and they're getting older and older and older? What do they say? My clock is what? My biological clock is what? It's just ticking right on away. And Sarah said, I can't even find my clock. You know? I'm, you know, it's gone. What are we trying to do? So, what's going to happen to these people? Well, let's break down the passage. Let me give you an idea of what we're going to see. First of all, we're going to see Sarah's plan for children. She gets Hagar and Abram follows and they lose patience with God's plan. We're going to see that in the first six verses. Second, we're going to see God deals with Hagar because she doesn't do right and she runs off and then she has to go back to Sarah and God makes some promises to her. We won't see all that tonight. We're just going to stop about the verse 10 verses. And then we're going to see the birth of Ishmael. That's the son. But you all know that's not the right son, is it? Who's Abram's son that the promises come through? Abraham to who? Isaac. But that's not, that's not the right name. That's not the right person. Do you know who the descendants of Ishmael is? Who? Arabs. And do you know what? That Ishmael and Isaac, who came later, fussed all the time. They're still fussing to this day. That's where the problem comes in. I mentioned this morning that what Abram does tonight in this passage, back in that time, had repercussions and consequences that go on to this very day. That's the birth of Ishmael. And we'll see that next week. In fact, next week we'll kind of get a little running start, get into that, and get a little bit into chapter 17 as well. Well, let's begin. Let's see what happened. They're supposed to be waiting on God's promises, but Abram and Sarai lose patience. So look at chapter 16. Look at verse 1. Now, Sarai, Abram's wife, had borne him no children, and she had an Egyptian maid whose name was Hagar. Now, it starts with a little background. It says, Sarai, Abram's wife, had borne him no children. Now, we know that Sarai means what? What's her name mean? Nagger. Isn't that a great name to have for the wife? What do you think she was saying? When am I going to have a baby? When am I going to have a baby? God said we're going to have a baby. When am I going to have a baby? When are you going to do something about this? When are we going to move over here? The tent's a little bit too small. You know? Nag, 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 right? That's her name, Nagger. That's Sarai. So Sarai, Abram's wife. And what does Abram mean? It means big daddy. High father is what it means, but it means big daddy. And, of course, how many kids does he have? None whatsoever. How are you going to be big daddy if you don't have any kids, right? You go, I'm big daddy. Where's your kids? Uh, well, I don't have any. Okay. So Sarai, the nagger, Abram, big daddy's wife, had bore him no children. You know, that doesn't even add up, does it? And she had an Egyptian maid whose name was Hagar. Where in the world did they get an Egyptian handmaid from? Where do you think? Try Egypt. That's right. Remember when they went down to Egypt? Were they supposed to go down to Egypt? No, they were not. They were supposed to stay in the land. There was a famine. But they, instead of staying in the land, they went down to Egypt. And that's when he did the lying and said that Sarah, Sarah was his 
what? His sister, and they most likely picked up Hagar while they were down there. So Sarah, Abram's wife, had borne him no children, and she had an Egyptian maid whose name was Hagar. I bet you every time they saw Hagar, they probably remembered, you know, when we were down in Egypt, we blew it. In fact, Abram, he messed up so much, Pharaoh said, you, you, uh, you're going to have to leave. I don't trust you, because you lied. I don't trust you. You know, when you lie to people, they don't trust you. You ever thought about that? Do you, do you trust people that lie to you? No, you don't, because you don't know whether they're going to tell you the truth or not. And guess what? When you lie, whether it's a little white lie or a big lie, they're not going to trust you. The old saying is, you can't go to Egypt without bringing back some problems. And they did. So look what happened. Verse 2. So Sarai said to Abram, Now behold, the Lord has prevented me from bearing children. Please go into my maid. Perhaps I will obtain children through her. Now look at the last, last part of this verse. And Abram listened to the voice of Sarai. Now let's stop for a minute. We have to look at the verse a little bit detailed. She said to Abram, Behold, the Lord has prevented me from bearing children. Is that true? Is that true? Yes, it is true. If, she, if God wanted her to have children earlier, would she already have children? Yeah. God has prevented her up to this point. Now, the promise was what? Abram and Sarah, you're going to have an offering. You're going to have a son. You're going to have a child. And this is going to be the start of this great nation and all of these things. And she's telling the truth. God has prevented me from bearing children. That's exactly right. And she's probably 75, 76 years old. And God is sovereign. Now, the promise is don't, don't worry about it. Don't worry about it. You're going to have a child at the right time. But they're growing impatient. She said, I can't have them. She said, why don't you go into my maid? Perhaps I will obtain children through her. We'll talk about what that means in a second. And Abram listened to the voice of Sarai. She said, I, I don't have a child, so we, we better do this. Let's, let's, let's do this through Hagar. Now, there's a test here. Because, see, the first test... There was a famine in the land, and Abram fell because he went down to Egypt and got into trouble. Now there's another test because there's a famine in the womb. And he's going to fail again. And see, sometimes we say, how could they do that? And then you look at your life and you go, how could I do that? Right? It's always a mistake when we do our thing rather than God's thing. Hagar says, take, excuse me, Sarah says, take Hagar and we'll have children through her. Now, that sounds strange to us, but notice what it says. Perhaps I will obtain children through her. It was common custom of that day that if someone did not have children, they could take one of their servants, one of their slave women, sometimes called concubines, sometimes called different things. They could take a slave woman. He could say, I'll marry this slave woman, and I'll produce a child, and that child will be our child. It'll be the mama and the daddy over here, but we'll just take that child from this slave. And that was a custom of the day. And so she basically says, why don't we do what some other people have done, since God obviously is not going to let me have a baby. Why don't we just take, why don't you take my maid, Hagar, and perhaps I'll get children through her. You say, really? Do you remember later on there was Abraham and Isaac? And who was after Isaac? What was the son? Jacob. How many kids did he have? How many wives did he have? He had two wives, but he also had children through two what? Two handmaids. The twelve tribes of Israel came through four different women. And all of them were the children of Jacob. 
Now I want you to see their thinking for a second. It seemed normal for the culture. Why don't we do this? Because everybody else does this. Have you ever heard somebody say, well, everybody else does it. Everybody does it. If everybody does it, it can't be what? Well, it can be wrong, but it can't be that wrong. It can't be that wrong. If everybody does it, we know it's wrong, but everybody does it, so it can't really be that wrong. How can it be that wrong or wrong? It's either wrong or wrong. You know, that's how it is. But they said, well, I look normal for the culture. But see, Sarah was going to be so unselfish to share Abram with a slave woman. She says, I, I, I will just make a sacrifice because what I can do is I can give this maid to you. I'll obtain children that way. And then even though the seed won't be through Sarah, it'll still be Abram. Can you see how they're thinking through this thing? Everybody else does it. Sarah's being so sweet to do this. Now, do you think Abram's going to put up a fight on this one? How old is this man? He's 85 years old. How old do you think this maid is? She's probably a young girl. He's probably going, that's, that's, I can do that for you, honey. Yes, I can, be, I can do that for you, honey. Yeah, I'll make a big sacrifice for us. And, you know, you can see him thinking that way. Now, the problem again is against God's word. You go back to Genesis, a man shall leave his father and his mother and cleave to his wife, and the two shall become what? One flesh. can't be one flesh with more than one person. It's a violation of God's divine institution. Just because the culture said it was okay didn't mean it's right. Because our culture says a lot of things are okay, they're not right. So many times we follow the pull of the culture rather than the Word of God. They're going to move from the Word of God. They've lost patience with God's timing. Now, you realize this, and we already know, we know the Scripture. How old is Abram going to be when the real son comes? Do you know? 99 years. Actually, it's 100 when he comes. It's 99 when the promise is made to him. And he's 100 and she's 90. From the original time the promise came, he was 75. He waited 25 years. Now, he didn't really wait 25 years. Because 10 years into the deal, he decides to do it this way. Instead of waiting. And sometimes we do the same thing. He's saying, this is how I'm going to have the offspring. But it can't work. Because God's promises will not be fulfilled by sinful methods. It can't work that way. Now, notice this. The very end of the verse says, And Abram listened to the voice of Sarai. Do you remember in the garden when Eve said to, well, her name was woman then, Isha, she looked at Adamah, Adam, and said, Eat. And he went, Okay. You know, and he listened to the what? In fact, when God came to him, he said, Because you have listened to your wife rather than me. Abram is going to listen to Sarah rather than God. They're not going to wait on the promises. We've seen over and over that when there are sin, there's always consequences. Think about this action here. With this action, there's sin because there's not one man, one woman anymore. There are consequences because the child is not the promised seed. And we're going to see there's conflict begins. There's conflict, Abraham with Sarah. And there's going to be Sarah with Hagar. There's going to be conflict through all of this. And that's not the end of it. When the children are born, when Ishmael comes and then later Isaac comes, conflict begins there and it has never stopped. It has never stopped. So when we think, well, I may do this and it's wrong, but it's not going to really affect anybody except me. And it doesn't work that way. We never sin in a vacuum. It affects our relationship with God. It reflects our relationship with people around us. It always does. 
So what happens? Verse 3. After Abram had lived 10 years in the land of Canaan, he's 85, she's 75, Abram's wife Sarai took Hagar, the Egyptian maid, and gave her to her husband Abram as his wife. The children would still be considered Sarah's. That's what they were thinking, be Sarai's. So look what happened. Verse 4. He went into Hagar and she conceived. And when she saw that she had conceived... Her mistress was despised in her sight. Now, up to this time, Hagar is a slave. She's a servant. She's a slave. But now she's having relations with the man, Abram, the man of the house, the man who owns it all. Now, think about this. Don't picture Abram and Sarai and a little tent. You remember that Abram is wealthy, rich, powerful. He has all kind of animals. He had over 318 men that were fighting men in his household. Remember when Lot got in trouble and Abram went to save his life? He took 318 soldiers with him. I mean, this man is, this is the big man. And now this little girl, young slave girl, now says, I got a child with the big man, with Big Daddy. I'm pretty important. And when she saw that she had conceived her mistress, who is her mistress? Sarai was despised in her sight. You know what she's thinking? I'm really better than you are because I can have kids and you can't. Because see, in that day and time, if a woman didn't have children, what did people think? Must be something wrong. Must be something wrong. Because, I mean, she, you know, she's barren. And if you're barren, there's something wrong. Why is Sarai barren? Why? It's not time yet. She's going to have a child, right? That's what God promised. Well, the handmaid said, God's blessing means not blessing you. And the handmaid looked down on her mistress, Sarai. The conflict has already begun. The consequences of disobedience will bring conflict. It always does. Always does. Well, watch this. Watch how this turns out. Because not only is there going to be conflict between Sarai and Hagar, there's going to be conflict between Sarai and Abram. And Sarai said to Abram, May the wrong done to me be upon you. You know what she just said? May all these problems that I got, may they go on you. It's your fault. You're the one that caused all this. You can see him going, me? That was your idea. Yeah, but you did it. Yeah, but you said to do it. Yeah, but it was your, yeah, but you did it. Yeah, but it was your idea back and forth. May the wrong done to me be upon you. I gave my maid into your arms, but when she saw that she had conceived, I was despised in her sight. May the Lord judge between you and me. She's saying, you're the head. You're the one that made the decision. I'm now in trouble. May the Lord judge. Both Abram and Sarai's actions have put them in a situation where they've sinned, there's conflict, and we find that there is a baby coming who is not the promised child. There are going to be all kinds of problems out of this. Sarai's saying, it's your fault. Abram is saying, well, you said do it. So how does he answer her? Abram said to Sarai, Behold, your maid is in your power to do to her what is good in your sight. So Sarai treated her harshly and she fled from her presence. You know, Abram is very passive in this. When men tend to make mistakes and sin, then they get passive. They don't do anything. And he goes, Well, you just do whatever you want. Wait a minute, you're supposed to be the man. You're the man, you're high father. You got all these soldiers, you got all his family, you got all his do- goats and donkeys and camels and everything else. You're the big man and you're just saying, well, you just do whatever you want. Thanks for your leadership. 
He says, so you do whatever is good in your sight. So Sarah treated her harshly, and she fled, fled from her presence. The word harsh means overbearing. I think she made her remember that you're just a slave. It doesn't matter what you think you've done. And there's nothing right in this whole situation. There's conflict in every area. Hagar is going to flee. She runs away. You think she's heading back to Egypt with, the, with, with child? That's what she's going to do. There's sin. There's consequences. There's conflict. Why? Because they tried to do things their way rather than God's way. And it's going to always be that way. When we do things our way rather than God's way, when we go against the Scripture, I mean, we have the Word of God, and it's alive and powerful. It's perfect. It gives us information. We're to live by the Word of God. That's the key. Well, watch what happens. Verse 7. Angel of the Lord. Notice verse 7. Now the angel of the Lord found her by the spring of water in the wilderness, by the spring on the way to Shur. Now she's on the way back toward Egypt. We find in the Old Testament that the angel of the Lord is not like an angel. It's actually the pre-incarnate Christ. It's a manifestation of God. Sometimes you'll see angels, but whenever you see in the Old Testament the angel of the Lord, when you see it that way, most every time it's actually an appearance of God in some form. We find, as you read through this passage, the angel of the Lord came there and talked to her, and the angel of the Lord, down toward the end, and we'll see it next week, says, you're going to have this baby, and I'm going to do this. Who's talking? It's God's talking. In Judges chapter 6, the angel of the Lord came, and in that passage, he is called Yahweh. In Exodus chapter 3, when the angel of the Lord appears to Moses... He is called the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. So in the Old Testament, sometimes when you see the angel of the Lord, this is God. So God has made an appearance to this runaway slave. And watch what he says. He said, Hagar, Sarah's maid, where have you come from and where are you going? And she said, I'm fleeing from the presence of my mistress, Sarah. So he says to her, where are you going? What's the problem? What he really wanted her to do is admit the situation. And she does. She tells the truth. She says, I'm running away from my mistress. I'm running, I'm fleeing, I'm getting out. She, she said, she said, in fact, the way she puts it is, see, that's her mistress. She's still, she's a slave of this person. And she doesn't say, to, she doesn't lie. She tells the truth. So God does something here. He's going to give her some instructions and a promise. Let's look first at the instructions. This is verse 9. I think that's first. He says, The angel of the Lord said to her, Return to your mistress and submit yourself to her authority. That's a pretty tough statement. Now, inside, she says, I don't really like her. I don't like her. And I'm the one that, I'm the one that has the baby, not her. I'm the one that's done the, the stuff. And you're telling me to go back and submit to her authority. There's a key in relationships, by the way. And, and in relationships in the Scripture, um, not only in our relationships with God, but our relationships with others, there are areas of authority. There are different authorities. Have you ever thought about it? God is over all. All creation submits to God. Jesus Christ is head over all things. Jesus said, all authority has been given to me in heaven and on earth. Jesus is the authority over the church. All believers are submit to Jesus Christ. The husband has authority over the wife. Wives, submit to your own husbands. And the Lord has fitting the Lord. You realize that children submit 
to their parents. Children, obey your parents in all things, but this is well-pleasing to the Lord. Do you realize that employees submit to the employer? In the Bible, the idea is the slave submits to the master. In our culture, it's the worker submits to the boss. What happens if you don't submit to your boss? You lose your job. That's right. There is a pattern there. Do you know as a student you submit to who? Your teacher. In the local body, the believers submit to the leadership of a church. Hebrews 13. The government. We submit to the government. To the laws of the government. Romans 13. There's always a pattern of submission in the Scripture. God says to this little girl, this girl, you go back to your mistress and submit yourself to her authority. We come under the authority that God has ordained. Now, there's an exception. You always submit to the authorities over you unless the authorities over you ask you to do something that is contrary to the Word of God. Whenever the authorities over you ask you to do something that is wrong, something that is contrary to the Scripture, you do not have to submit to the authorities over you when they ask you to do that. Now, if they're not asking you to do something that's contrary to the Scripture or that's wrong, you submit. That's the plan. And then there's the promise. See, there's the instruction and then the promise. Verse 10. Moreover, the angel of the Lord said to her, I will greatly multiply your descendants so that they will be too many to count. You have all kinds of kids. We're going to see, and, and I want you to read on a little bit. This, we're supposed to stop there, but I want you to read down to verse 11. The angel of the Lord said to her further, he gives more information. Behold, you're with child. You're going to bear a son. And you shall call his name Ishmael. Ishmael means God hears, because God heard her. Because the Lord has given heed to your affliction. I've heard what's happened in your life. God knows everything. God wants the best for you even when you do wrong. You ever thought about that? If you said, I'm going to do exactly contrary to the Scripture. So what's God going to do about that? What will God do to you? What will He do when you go contrary to the Scripture? He'll thank you in that sense. He will discipline His children. But does He do that because He hates us or because He loves us? He always does what's best for us. Always. Even when we're in disobedience, He always does what's best for us. Because He loves us with an everlasting, unconditional love. Always. There are going to be two children that we're going to see in the next few weeks. One of them is Ishmael, and the other one is Isaac. And Ishmael is going to be a good bit older than Isaac. About 13 years older. And yet they're going to have conflicts from that point on. And the conflicts of the descendants of Ishmael, which ultimately become the Arab people, and the descendants of Isaac through Jacob, through Judah, through the twelve tribes of the Jews, and the conflicts between the Arab and the Jews have been going on to this very day. And I saw, I hadn't even been able to look at the newspaper or anything today at all, but I saw one thing where it said that Israel has now agreed to a, a ceasefire. And I said, what's been happening over there? Who's fighting over there? Who are the Palestinians? Who are they? What's their background? They're who? They're Arabs. Who's fighting the Arabs? The Jews. The Arabs are descendants of Ishmael. And the Jews are the descendants of Isaac. They've been fighting ever since this. 
you could almost say, Abram, if you'd have just held up, we wouldn't be having these problems. Isn't that true? Next time we see the offspring, we see Abram, Hagar, and from there the problems are going to be coming all the way to even now. What have we seen? Abram and Sarah get impatient waiting on God's promise. So they try to solve the problem of old age without children. Tells Hagar that, that, uh, you know, that they're going to take Hagar and there's sin and conflict and Hagar flees and God tells her to come back and the promise of the son. Oh, by the way, I, I do want to read this. Listen how Ishmael is described. Okay, verse 12. He will be a wild donkey. Of a man. His hand will be against everyone. Everyone's hand will be against his, and he will live to the east of all his brothers. That was true, by the way, of, of Ishmael and his descendants. They fight with each other and they fight with everybody else. Look through history. Read the books. Read the books, and you'll say, Good gracious, why is that that way? Well, that's what we find out right there. We see the problem. Let me give you some applications. We'll open up for any questions you have and then we'll close. But realize the first application. Realize that God knows our situation and our problems. God is the God who sees and hears and knows everything that's going on. He knows all about us. Knowing God will take care of all of these things and we need to rest in Him. In fact, the first one is just realize that He knows everything. And number two, rest in Him and trust Him. Trust His Word. Be patient. Trust the promises of God. A, be patient. That means whatever his promises are, you trust them and you take them. And you know, the Bible is full of promises. Some promises are just and some aren't. That's why when you study the Bible, you have to study it historical, literal, grammatical, because a lot of people pull out a promise from the Bible, and it's not even to them. And they'll go, well, God said that. I go, well, he didn't say that to you. I wonder why he hadn't done it yet. Well, he's probably not going to do it because he didn't promise it to you. And so make sure that when you say, I got a promise from God, that it's actually a promise from God to you. Be patient. Trust him. Don't let the pulls of the world and the culture determine your action. Just because everybody else does something doesn't mean that you do it. The pressures are there all the time. And people always talk about peer pressure and everything, but they're just there. They're there that everybody does this and everybody does this and everybody does this. And we want to say, well, if everybody does it, I, I, mean, I mean, I know it's wrong, but everybody, everybody does it. So it can't really be that wrong. Don't let the, the pulls of this world do that. Abram didn't wait. God's blessings did not come by sinful means. Won't happen. In fact, when you sin, you get the consequences of sin. You don't get the blessings, you get the consequences. Be not deceived, God is not mocked. Whatever a man sows, he shall also shall reap. If he sows to the flesh, he reaps from the flesh, what? Corruption. If he sows to the Spirit, he reaps from the Spirit, eternal life. So, bottom line, you, you get... You get out what you put in. If you put in sin, you're going to get out consequences. Third, third application, submit to authority that God has ordained. It's first God and His Word that we come under. We obey the Bible and we come under the authorities in our lives. And there are a lot of authorities in our lives, whether it's parent to child, a husband to wife, employer to employee, the laws of the government, the, the local authorities in a, in a church, in, in, a, in a school, all of those things. God has ordained these structures. I want to end with, with just some questions for you to think about. Okay, Number one. Do you believe the promises of God? Number two, are you resting in God to fulfill the promises? Number three, are you patient or do you try in your power to fulfill God's promises, so to speak? Are we living by the word or by the world? Do we realize the consequences of...
and the conflict which come from sin. And do we realize that God hears and sees and knows our circumstances? Rest in Him. Trust Him to do what He says. Live by the Word of God. In the trials, problems, and situations of life, we have to go back to Him and know what know what His Word says. Live by the Scripture. Trust in Him. He's working all things according to the counsel of His will. And we don't want to do this. That's one of the reasons it's in there. It shows us what happens when we go contrary to what God has promised. Let's pray. We'll open up for any questions you might have. Heavenly Father, what a great night. Thank you for these truths as we look at the life of Abram and Sarah and Hagar and all of these different things. Help us, Lord, to learn from them. We know that you make promises to us and we want to rest in those promises and trust you. You're working all things according to the counsel of your will. It's going to be in your time and in your perfect way. Thank you, Lord, that when you make a promise, you always keep it. Lord, help us to study the Scripture so we can know the promises that you give to us. Lord, it's so easy to be pulled by this world. We realize that if we are not consciously being transformed, we'll be unconsciously conformed to the world. We do not want to do that. We realize, Lord, that when we sin, there are consequences and there's conflict. And may we realize you know, you see, you hear, you know everything about us. May we rest in you. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. Okay, any questions, comments, or anything before we close? Anything? Yes. I, you know what? I didn't look it up, but there's got to be a name to it. I can look it up for you. She asked, what, what does Hagar mean? And I did not look it up tonight to, to see. It probably means troublemaker. No, I don't know. <laughs> Who knows? I'm sorry. Yes, Hazel. What promise? I mean, what, what are you talking about? He promised her many descendants. He did. But the wrong good, they're not good descendants. They didn't say it, no, we, didn't, we didn't say they're all bad. It just said that that one son would be a wild donkey of a man. That's how it says it. And it says that his hand will be against all. He didn't get along with anybody. He fussed and fought and fussed with his brother, fussed with his daddy, fussed. He did exactly when he saw what Isaac did. In fact, God told Isaac... I mean, the, the Abram told Isaac, "Don't marry anybody from around here. You got to marry. You got to marry a Jewish. You got to marry one of my relatives." And when Ishmael saw that, he said, "I'll just go marry whoever I want to. Then I'll just go exa- exactly against what my daddy says." And that's the kind of person he was. Now, the descendants of Ishmael are Arab people, and not all Arab. All Arab people aren't bad in the sense of just saying they're bad people. It's saying that they, God made a promise to them that they would be a, a great number of people, and there are. Well, the descendant from Hagar was, but 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 see, you got to remember later on there's Jacob and Esau, and Arabs are also the Arab group of people come from Esau as well, and so there's all kind of people groups that came from both from Ishmael and Esau, and that's that people group that we usually call Arab people, huh? I'm sorry. Oh, did you see it? Okay, stranger. You looked it up. Good. Mean stranger. That you know, they probably picked her up in Egypt as a slave and said, "Would you want this slave?" And they said, "Well, yes, he's a stranger to us. No telling." Thanks. What else? What else? Don't get me wrong. I did not mean to say if I if I imply that all Arab people are bad because all I implied is that from Ishmael, 
this people group, especially from Ishmael, he was a wild donkey of a person. He always had conflict with people. Now, the rest of his descendants, we're going to see that he had a great number of people come through him. We're going to even see him listed later on. And then later, when we get to Isaac, to Jacob and Esau, there's some promises to Esau as well, as far as his descendants and who they were. So there's all kind of things there. That doesn't mean that they're all bad people. I didn't, you know, I don't mean to imply that at all. Okay, okay. Yeah. Ishmael was a very contrary type person. We'll say strong will, but he's going to do he's going to do what he wants to do. Yes. It was Sarai that got real mad about it because Hagar was basically going like this. I have a baby and you don't. You're not really as good as me. So Sarah said, who do you think you are? You're my servant. And she said, well, maybe so, but I got, I was with the big daddy and I got a baby. And so she went to big daddy and said, you, this is all your fault. And big daddy goes, no, it's not my fault. You're the one who put it up to it. But the truth is, it is his fault. He's the man. He was the head. He should have said, honey, we ain't doing this. This is not the way to do it. No, no, no. i got to trust God. God said we're going to have a child. I don't think this is the way to do it. But what did he say? Seems like a good idea to me. Right? So, yeah, it was it was Sarai that got all mad about it after it all happened. Okay. Yes? But he, it says he took her as his what? As his wife. And so he's, he's actually got her as his wife, even though she's a slave. Now, we're not saying that's right, because we'd say you're not supposed to have two wives. But in that culture, see, it, technically speaking, culture-wise, they didn't really do anything wrong. By doing that at that time. But it's wrong. We know it's wrong. And let's look at it from Hagar's. What what choice does Hagar have? Think about it. She was a slave. I don't know. And let me ask you this. What The problem with Hagar was not that she had sex with Abraham. And I'm not saying that was right. But it was that she made fun of her mistress and got ran off. And that's when God came to her and said, what are you doing out here? And she said, I'm running away. He said, you go back and submit. You go back and do what you're supposed to do. I guarantee you, let me say this, that probably Hagar never thought she would have the son herself. Meaning, she'd have the baby, but she probably never thought that that would actually be her baby. That it would be transferred over to Sarai and Abram, and she would just be the one basically to have the child. And Abram and Sarah would keep that baby from then on. But we see that things change, because she comes back and submits. And then God comes to Abram and said, uh, you blew it. There's another way, and you're going to have to trust me, and that's not the offspring. 
Yes, and I saw your hand. I'll get you in just a second. Yeah. Well, they lost about six million in the Holocaust, just like that. You know, <laughs> you're right. There are a lot. There are mil- yeah, there are a lot more. The Jewish people have always been. Uh, you realize when we start thinking about how many Jews there were, but by the time that they went down to Egypt, there were only seventy-five of them that went down to Egypt at the time of Joseph. You realize that only seventy-five. They came out with two million. There were two million of them that came out of Egypt. And of course, a lot of them died in the desert. They didn't make it in. And so, those kind of things, but there are a lot of Arab groups, a lot of people groups around them. And the Jewish people have always been persecuted. Always. Because they're God's people. Yes. Sorry, Joel. It is, it is a pretty negative term. Yeah, let me tell you this. You don't want to be called a wild donkey of a man, okay? Well, I, I think it's a valuable animal, but I'm not sure being called a donkey is exactly praise. Now, Ryrie may be right there, but I've not ever seen... I, that's probably the only place I've ever seen somebody said that would be a title of praise. You think he wrote that? I don't know. It's in his notes, but we never know about all that. But yeah. Okay, anything else? Okay, one more, one more, one more. What are you going to say this time? Okay, I'm just kidding. Yeah. Oh, yeah. I think the husband maybe needs to check the spirit a little bit. Well, the truth is this. The truth is this. That women think differently than men, and it is a wise man who will listen to his wife. That doesn't mean he does everything she says, but God put men and women together. They are different. They think differently. And in my premarital counsel, and I always teach that when, you're, when you talk and you have an issue to decide, you always go to your wife and you say, Honey, what do you think? Get her input. The man ultimately has got to make the decision because he's the head of the family. That's the plan. But it is a wise man who listens to his wife. Now, in these situations, when Eve went to Adam and said, Eat from the fruit, he knew that he'd already been told not to do that. So she's telling him to do something that's wrong, and he listens to her. When she comes to Abram and says, do this, he already knows that he's not supposed to do that. And so the vice in these two situations where it says they listen to their wives, it just so happens that their wives were telling them to do things that they already knew were wrong, and they still did it anyway. And that's why when God came to Adam and said, you have listened to the voice of your wife. And he didn't mean that men don't listen to their wives. He's meaning when they're telling you to do something that's wrong, you, you have to come down. Am I going to listen to my wife or am I going to listen to God? And both of them went the wrong way. Okay. You remember that. When you give advice to Freddie. Yeah, I know, I know. I'm not going to say another word about this. Let's close in prayer. That's why. Heavenly Father, what a great night. Thank you again for just a, a special time. Thank you for your, your word. Help us, Lord, as we continue to study it through the book of Genesis. Help us to put all this together. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen.